morning. <laughs> um, man, it's good, to, it's good to see you this morning, and just a blessing and privilege to be able to worship alongside of you. Um, I, I love this church, and I love being able to just do what we get to do together every Sunday. This is, this is a blessing that God is in his sovereign will given us the opportunity and privilege of being able to not just worship together but but to enjoy the praises of his people together to sing truth to one another to hear the word read and the word prayed and the word proclaimed and we just recognize that around the world we have brothers and sisters who don't have the same opportunities and access that we do and so um, I'm just so thankful to be able to do that, but be able to do that here. We, I love this church. I love our family. My family loves this church body. And um, I love hearing you praise Jesus and sing. And so I, I just, from the get-go, I just obviously uh, want to recognize that um, we have had some technical difficulties this morning. And so I just would like for us as a church body, we've, we've got men and women who work as a part of our ministry, our worship ministry team, tirelessly around the clock to serve us so that this can happen and sometimes days like this can be frustrating for them but could we just say a huge thank you to them for just serving us so well they really do work tirelessly to be able to remove distractions so that you and I can benefit by being here every Sunday morning and being able to just worship the Lord and they're not the only people, a hospitality team, people who serve our, our children, our students every single week. Um, so I just encourage you as you see them just to say thank you. This is part of what it means to be the body as we serve one another. Uh, so this morning, you go ahead and turn uh, to the book of Acts. We are in this awesome book of the Bible, pursuing Jesus together. And I'm so excited about what God is doing and praying he will do in the life of our family. Um, and so if you are here and you are a member of our church, I want to ask something of you before we dive into this passage. And that's to be praying, um, be praying for our church during this time as we walk through this book. We are praying that God changes us, that this tagline, a church unleashed with the gospel, it's not just like a cute tagline, that, that's what we're praying happens. That as we walk through the pages of this book together, that God would change us. And that he would change us in such a way that impacts our city, our region, our country, and the world. And so, specifically, here's what you can pray for. And it's for these things that are up on the screen. Pray that we would be desperately dependent upon the Holy Spirit. Pray that for you. If you're married, pray that for your spouse. If you have believing children, pray that for them. Pray that for the people in your life group. Pray that they would be fervently loving, that we would be a people who love Jesus and love one another in a way that is noticeable to a watching world, that we'd be sacrificially devoted, just like we were encouraged this morning already, to be generous, that we'd be willing to lay down our resources, our time for the sake of the gospel, that we'd be radically repentant. This is one of the things I'm praying for this morning because I recognize that in this place, if our hard hearts are not broken by the power of the Holy Spirit and the gospel, nothing happens in this room. And I pray that we, even this morning, would be radically repentant because every single person, Christ follower or not, in this room has unrepentant sin in their life. And we need God to help 
give us repentant hearts, that we would be boldly proclaiming that the gospel would go out of here to your home, to your community, to your job, to your school, to your family, and across the earth. We pray that Tri-Cities Baptist Church would be a place that happens. We'd be globally impacting so that all people groups and all nations would be and hear the gospel through this church family, that we'd be joy-filled, that our joy would be in Jesus alone. And so we can endure whatever the life, this life brings, our joy would be firmly rooted in Christ. That's what I'm praying for you. So I just want to ask that you be praying for that for one another. And we just want to pray that even now. I'm, I'm going to pray for us. And I just want to ask that you pray that God do those things in this place even today. So would you pray with me? Father God, we love you and we need you. We, we pray that these would not just be words in a tagline or a part of a, a series, Lord. We pray these would be attributes that you weave into the fabric of who we are as a church family. That when we say members, we're not talking about joining a club. It's the members of a body, just like a human body has many members, and we are woven together. Christ is the head, and we follow him, and we live together and pursue unity and pursue you, and we live for your glory, and we share the truth. Lord, I would just pray that what you would do in this room would not stay in here, but would go out. I pray nothing would be known in this place except Jesus Christ and him crucified. We thank you for the promise that your word does not return void. It accomplishes the purpose for which you send it. So please let your word do its work in our lives this morning. Please, God, we pray that, that you would be exalted, that I would decrease, you would increase in this place. In your name I pray. Amen. Pray that as the church family. I've asked you to keep praying that. If you're here this morning and you're a guest and you're, you're kind of checking out our church and you're pursuing where God would have you as a church family, I would just encourage you, um, if that's you, give us six weeks. Not just a service because you really don't get to know a church in a service, this church or any other church. But get in a study group. Get in a life group. Really find out about the DNA of our church. Join, get and discover Tri-Cities. Be with us for a period of time as you're praying through that. And if you're here this morning and that's not you and you just came because a friend invited you first, I want you to know you have an awesome friend. Like whoever that friend is, they are awesome. They love you and they love you enough that they would invite you to be a part of something that is matters to them and matters to their faith so just know you've got a good friend and know that if you come here and you have questions about the gospel or you're not sure you believe all this church stuff bible stuff that's okay our prayer this morning is that you would find the answers that you're looking for and so let's together uh, get into acts chapter one we've been here for a couple weeks and we're going to keep progressing on and what i love about this passage and i love about this morning is that, that jesus himself before he goes to heaven, he answers two questions that everyone wants answered who's a Christian. So if you're a Jesus follower in this room, he's going to answer two specific questions that I know you've thought about. Maybe even this week you've had conversations about. And the first question is this, what is my purpose? If you got walk into Lifeway this week, you will see book upon book upon book about finding God's will for your life, God's purpose for your life, how do you know, all those kind of things. We have seminars, classes, conferences on, on all of that, and I'm not knocking, it's not bad. But in this text, God, Jesus himself, gives the purpose of the church and the purpose of your life and my life. He gives us that answer. But not only does he give us that answer, he then tells us not only what the purpose of our life is, he tells us how 
to live out the purpose of our life, how to accomplish the purpose. And so if you're here in this room and you, you've thought that, you've wrestled through that, you're, you're thinking about that, this morning I think the answer to your question is here. It's definitely here in Scripture, but I think it's here this morning. So Acts 1, verse 6. So when they had come together, they asked him, disciples asking Jesus, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It's not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. Now what are they talking about? Will you restore the kingdom of Israel? The disciples had this perspective. They thought that Jesus was going to come and he was going to overthrow uh, the Roman Empire and restore Israel to the way it was like we see it in the Old Testament. And there's all these promises and prophecies about God coming and sending a Messiah and how he's going to make all things right and he's going to restore the fortunes of Israel. But they had kind of a missed perspective of what that is. They, they saw it in the way it used to be, not in the way that it would be. And so Jesus just says, listen, it, it's, it's not for you to know. God knows, and you can trust him. And I think even for us this morning, you probably have questions about your life, questions about the future, questions about the United States and where we are, questions about when Jesus comes again. The encouraging thing that Jesus tells them and tells us is, God's got this. He's in control. It's okay. But you and I have a purpose to do and to accomplish. Verse 7, so he said to them, it's not for you to know times, the seasons, fathers fixed by his own authority, but verse 8, this is where we're going to spend the majority of our time this morning, but, so that's God's purposes, this is your purpose. This is my purpose. This is what we're called to. This is God's will for your life and for this church. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And when he said these things, they were looking on as he was lifted up, a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes, angels. And he said to them, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking at heaven? This Jesus who is taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way you saw him go to heaven. Aren't those great words? This Jesus, I have that underlined in my Bible, this Jesus, this Jesus who lived with you, this Jesus who died for you, this Jesus who rose again, he's going away, but he's coming back. And you have hope. And not only do you have hope, you have a purpose until he comes again. In church, this Jesus is coming again. He's coming again. It's not the end. He didn't just die and go away. He is coming back. And until that day comes, or until we go to meet him in heaven, we have this purpose that he's given to us. Verse 12, they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room. They were staying there, Peter, James, John, Andrew, Philip, and Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, Judas, the son of James. And they were with one accord. There's unity. They were obedient. They were there, Jesus said, to wait. They devoted themselves to prayer. They were there with the women, Mary the mother of Jesus, and his brothers and sisters. And so in this passage, we get the purpose of our life. We get the marching orders for the church. In fact, throughout the early church for centuries, Acts 1-8 
has been the purpose, the mission of the church. And it is the mission of our lives. And this is that mission. The mission and purpose of the church is to leverage our lives. So we are the church. It's not a building. It's not a place. It's people. To join the continued work of Jesus until the good news of the gospel is proclaimed among all people in all of the earth. Say it again. The mission and purpose of the church is to leverage our lives to join in the continued work of Jesus until the good news of the gospel is proclaimed among all people in all the earth. What is the purpose of your life? What is the purpose of my life? This is the purpose of our lives. To join in the work of Jesus. Luke says at the beginning of Acts, I told you in the earlier book, Luke, all that Jesus began to do. Now we are living in what Jesus is continuing to do through the Holy Spirit, through the church. We are called to advance the gospel. We are called to be a part of Christ's work until all people everywhere know him and he comes back again. That's your purpose. And you might say, well, Paul, that sounds really vague. Like, how do I do that in my context? Well, we're going to get into the how in just a second. So that's question number one. What's, what's your purpose in this life? Your purpose is the same purpose of the church if you're a Christian. And that's together we magnify the name of Jesus. We continue his work together. That's why you exist and why I exist. And your life will feel without meaning and your life will feel aimless and your life will feel without direction and purpose until you join in God's purposes. One of the reasons why people in the church feel so purposeless is because we've not aligned our, our lives with the divine purposes that God has given us. If you want purpose, align your life, give yourself to this mission. So how do we do that? Well, thankfully, that's the second question. Thankfully, Jesus gives us and gives them, the disciples, the answer. How do we leverage our lives for the mission and the purpose that God's called us? Let me just give a few reasons that we see from this passage. We'll look at some of the other commission passages as well and kind of tie these all together into one. What is our purpose and mission as the church and the people of God? Here's the first thing. We leverage our lives for the mission when we are desperately dependent upon the Holy Spirit. If you want to fulfill the purpose that God has given you in this life, if you want to leverage your life for the mission of God, what He has created and designed you for, that only happens when you and I are desperately dependent upon the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 8. But you will, not maybe, not might, not perhaps, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And that word power, it's the word dunamis. It's the word where we get dynamite from. So not just kind of a little trickle of power, you know, a little power. It's a great, enormous power is going to come on you when the Holy Spirit invades your life. And up to this point, the Holy Spirit had not been present in indwelling His people. We know that from a lot of different passages, but from this passage, Acts 1-4, Jesus says, wait. Wait until the promise of the Father comes. Don't go. You cannot go to Jerusalem. You cannot go to Judea. You cannot go to Samaria. You cannot go to the ends of the earth until the Holy Spirit is present in your life, until that power is present in you. The same is true for you and for me today. 
We cannot fulfill our purpose, we cannot be a part of the mission of God unless the person of God, who is the Holy Spirit, is living and moving and we are walking in obedience and in step with Him. And if you have questions about who is the Holy Spirit and how does He work and how do we respond to Him, I would encourage you, if you weren't here last week, to go back and download the message. It was on the Holy Spirit, all the notes. You can grab them online. We have a class, a study group that starts next week at our Johnson City campus on Sunday nights on the Holy Spirit. There's all kinds of resources for you to pursue that end. So I'm not going to chase that this morning, but what you need to know and feel is that unless the Holy Spirit is living and active in you, you cannot accomplish the work that God's called you to. And that's hard for us. That's hard for me. Because the Holy Spirit feels kind of distant to us. It's something we don't really understand. And the real reason it's hard for us is because we are people who like to live independently. I don't like you to tell me what I have to do. I don't want to have to rely on someone else. I want to be able to do my own thing, in my own ability, in my own comfort zone, right? I'm a creature of comfort. You can ask my wife. I like my, my things a certain way, in a certain time. I don't like a lot of extra stuff. I, like, I have my space in the way I like it. I don't like you to interfere with my bubble. Stay back, kind of thing. And that, that's hard for us to say, unless we are dependent We can't be who God's called us to be. And Jesus was clear with that with the disciples. One of the great commission passages can be found in John 20. And Jesus talks about the need for the Holy Spirit there. And he talks about what they're called to do. He says this, On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked for the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them. He just kind of appeared in the room, um, which is... Kind of crazy when you think about it. And he said to them, peace be with you. And if you just saw someone appear in a room, you would need someone to tell you, like, peace be with you. In fact, he doesn't just say it once, he says it again. When he showed them his hands and his side, the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said again, peace be with you. It's okay. It's me. I'm not a ghost. It's really, really me. And listen, this is what Jesus tells them. As the Father has sent me, think about this, Son of God, incarnated, came, became a human, stepped into our space, stepped into our world, stepped into our existence. This is what he's saying. As the Father has sent me, even so, in the same manner, I am sending you. I'm sending you to step into the space of people who are far from God. I'm sending you just like the Father sent me. Think about that, the weight of that. And when he said these things, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. Now this was just a foretaste of what was to come. We know that they weren't filled with the Holy Spirit fully because later on in Acts, he says, Wait until you're filled with the Holy Spirit. And this is not an abnormal thing. All throughout the Old Testament, you see passages where someone was filled with the Spirit for a certain task, filled with the Spirit for a certain moment. But the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, the residence, could not happen until Jesus left. In fact, earlier in John, Jesus says exactly that. John 7, 39. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not been given. Why? Because Jesus was not yet glorified. So Jesus gives them a taste of what's about to happen and says, you are going to be sent just like I was sent. Wait until the Holy Spirit comes. You and I, church family, 
cannot fulfill the purpose God has for your life and my life apart from the Holy Spirit. Are you, am I, are we desperately dependent? And I think we need to feel that weight, that we do not have this. This mission is outside of our control. It's outside of our capacity. We need to rest in him. Here's the second thing this passage gives us that Jesus tells us about this mission, about this purpose. So if we are going to achieve the purpose that God's given us, if we're going to achieve the mission that God's given to your life and my life and to this church, first we must be desperately dependent. But the second thing that must happen in us is we must be winsome witnesses. We must be winsome witnesses of what Jesus has done. We leverage our lives for the mission when we live as winsome witnesses of God's redeeming work within us. Look at Acts 1-8 again. So he says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses. And that word, I would encourage you to underline, circle, if you have a Bible with you, or grab the one in the seat back, keep it. If you're going to circle and write in it, that can be yours. Um, But witnesses, that's such an important word. The word witness, it means three different things um, in the Greek. The first is eyewitness. And the disciples, they literally were eyewitnesses. They saw Jesus' life, Jesus' death, Jesus' resurrection, and they gave testimony to that. We have not seen Jesus physically die on the cross for our sins and raised from the dead. The second thing that it means, and this is really important for us, is it means to bear witness of. So Jesus is saying to them, and he's saying to us, the way the gospel is going to go out is when we bear witness of the things that Jesus has done. Now this is really important. He doesn't say, go out and convince people to believe that I'm the Son of God. He doesn't say, go out and manipulate people to believe that I died for their sins. Don't go out and make people that I believe that I died on the cross for their sins. What's he say? You are to be a witness of these things. A witness. A witness of what things? Well, Jesus gives us the answer in the Luke account of the Great Commission. So let's look at that really quickly. In Luke 24, Jesus says this. Then he said to them, verse 44, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And listen to verse 45. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Who would like to be a part of that study group? I mean, think about it. Jesus says, everything in the law, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, is all about me. Everything in the prophets, major prophets, minor prophets, Jeremiah, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, all those guys, it's all about me. And everything in the books of poetry, the Psalms, the Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, Job, the wisdom literature, it's all about me. And then he sits down and tells them and shows them how it's all about him. I would love to have been a part of that study group. But you and I have the New Testament. You know what the New Testament is? It's showing us how Jesus is the fulfillment of everything that's in the Old Testament. So he opens their minds to that. And look, we'll keep going verse 46, And he said to them, Thus it is written, that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning in Jerusalem. Sound familiar? Acts 1-8. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, ends of the earth. Jesus is saying the same thing. 
You, this is, the, this is the important part, verse 48. You are witnesses of these things. Of what things? The scripture, the law, the prophets, Psalms. And you are witnesses of the gospel. The Son of Man must suffer, die, three days in the grave, rise from the grave. So what are you and I supposed to be witnesses of? This book and the truth of the gospel which is found within this book. You and I are called to bear witness. The way we achieve the purpose that God has called us to is to be witnesses. If you've ever, um, how many of you have ever had jury duty? Anybody in this room, the unfortunate pleasure? Okay, so some of you guys have had jury duty, or maybe you've been to a trial, or maybe you've just watched like a courtroom trial in a movie or on TV, whatever that is. Well, when you're, when you're watching a trial, there's three really sets of people that are really important um, that, that are there. One is you have the prosecutor. His job is to convince everyone in the room that that guy's guilty. He's evil, he's terrible, and he should go to jail for the rest of his life. Then you have the defendant. His job is to show you why he is innocent and why you know, he's been framed and all those kinds of things. Then the third group are the witnesses. This is what Jesus is getting at. What is the witness supposed to do? The witness does not convince everyone of anything at all. What does the witness do? Tells the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth. Their job is not to convince you one way or another. It's just to proclaim what is true. This is what Jesus is saying is your job and my job. We go to our families. We go to our workplace. We go to our neighbors. We go on mission trips. We go around the world. We go into our schoolroom. And what do we do? We tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth of what Jesus has said and done. That's what it means to be his witnesses. That's what it means. And we go not trying to convince or manipulate. We go not fearing messing it up. I love how Pastor Daniels reminded our church so many times, reminded me is that you never hurt the advancement of the gospel by actually sharing the gospel. You don't hurt the gospel by sharing the gospel. When you share the gospel, it's God's work, the Holy Spirit's work that changes lives. We are called just to be faithful to proclaim the gospel, to be witnesses of it. And it is an act of love. Sharing the gospel is an act of love. If you knew someone, let's say there's a family member in your life who had cancer, has cancer, and let's say you discovered the cure to cancer. The most unloving thing that you or I could do would be to not share it, to withhold it. In fact, if I did that and you knew that about me, you, you would think I'm an evil person. To have the cure, to have the source, to have the answer, and to not give it. But we have been given the message of eternal life. The people who are in this moment dying, separated from God, heading toward an eternity, a Christless eternity, separated from God forever, and we have the answer. And so Jesus says, the way you live out your purpose, the way the church lives out its purpose, is in love. It goes and it just tells people the good news of the gospel. That's all we have to do. That's all we have to do. Jesus said it this way himself in John fifteen fifteen. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what the master is doing, but I have called you friends. Jesus called us friends. For all that I've heard from my Father, I've made known to you. This is what Jesus is saying. If you're my friend and I love you, 
To be a friend means I let you know everything that Jesus has done. I make the Father's will known to you if you're my friend. And a lot of us, I'm pointing at me, we have people who we would say we love and we call our friends who we've never shared the truth of the gospel. We don't love them. It's the most unloving thing we could do, I could do, you could do. This purpose that God's called us to, this mission, we have what we need. But here's the third thing that the word witness means. And this has been so convicting to me as I've just read through and studied this passage. It hasn't come alive really until this week. But the word witness means to give your life for someone or something. The word witness, it means to lay down your life. Do you, do you know what the Greek word witness is? It's martyros, or where the word we get our word martyr from. In Revelation 17, when it talks about the martyrs of the saints, it's the exact same word. Listen, I want you to feel the weight of what Jesus is telling the disciples and telling us today. You will be my witnesses. When the Holy Spirit comes on you, you will be my witnesses. Or in other words, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my martyrs. In Jerusalem, you'll be my martyrs. In Judea, you'll be my martyrs. In Samaria, you'll be my martyrs to the ends of the earth. You will be my martyrs. You will lay down your life out of love's sake for me and the watching world will see that you really are my witnesses and they will see that the gospel is true. Church family, as hard as this is for me to say this, God is calling you and me to be his martyrs. That's why he saved you. Because there's no greater witness in the world than to lay down your life for what matters most. And some of us will not be called to lay down our lives. But there are brothers and sisters around the world who do. And who are. And who have. These disciples would lay down their lives for Jesus. This was not just a strategy. This is what was going to happen. As the Gospel of Acts, or the book of Acts unfolds, we are going to see the Gospel spread from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth. And we are going to see the disciples killed because of it. But it's not loss, Jesus says. It's gain. Jesus himself said it this way in calling the crowd and disciples to himself in Mark 8. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself Take up his cross, take up his method of execution, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and to forfeit his soul? The mission, the purpose, the call of your life and my life, dear Jesus followers, to come and die. And it's in our suffering, in being ridiculed at work, or in class, or marginalized by society, or losing our job, that the gospel witness goes forward. It's in our brothers and sisters around the world who are kicked out of their families, who are kicked out of their jobs, who lose their life, that the gospel goes forward. 
yesterday, my wife and I got to be in Raleigh, North Carolina, um, to be with some friends who are mourning the death of their four-year-old son, who has been battling sickness and heart surgeries and trachs for four years, and this week he went home to be with Jesus. And as we were in that service, we got to hear testimony after testimony after testimony of all these people who had seen this mom and dad, who are my age, not walk away from Christ, but run toward Jesus in the suffering and loss of their son. In the pain, their faith was resolute. And to hear all these people talk about how their faith has been strengthened or people come to Christ because of their faith. That's what it means to be a martyr. That whatever life brings you, whatever suffering or hardship, it draws you closer to Christ and that pain is now a megaphone of hope for the gospel. This is the life that you and I are called to and Jesus is worth it. So we leverage our lives for the mission and we begin to see all of life when we are winsome witnesses, when we are desperately dependent, and here's the third thing, and we're almost finished. We leverage our lives for the mission when we begin to see all of life and all people as our mission field. All of life and all people. Jesus said it this way, Acts 1.8, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This is what Jesus is saying. Everywhere a Christian sets his feet or her feet, is your mission field. In your home, with your family, in your workplace, at your school, in the classroom, at the ball field, around the world, wherever God have you, that is a mission field. Be my witnesses there through the power of the Holy Spirit. See, all of life, life's mission is not just going on a mission trip once a year, twice a year. It's every single day is the mission field. And we should long as the people of God to see the gospel go out, not just here, but everywhere. Jerusalem, where is that? That is our city. That's where you live. It's Gray. It's Kingsport. It's Bristol. It's Johnson City. For some of you, it's Telford. Or Unicoi County and Irwin. In fact, we have so many people in our church family who live in the Johnson City zip code that we have a church campus in Johnson City for that purpose. So that where you live, where you work, where you play, where your kids live, you can go to worship there and you can invite your friends and your coworkers and their, your kids' friends and that community and your classmates to come to that gathering where they may not drive 25 minutes to come here. And we would encourage you, if you live and work and play there, to sacrifice... Because it might be a sacrifice, things are comfortable here, to go there and say, I want to be the gospel in my Jerusalem. That's why we do it. Judea, that's the surrounding region. That, for us, that would be northeast Tennessee or southwest Virginia or western Kentucky or kind of the south. It's, it's our region. We want to be the gospel there. It's why we do things like impact and we invite churches from our region in because we want to help take the gospel here and be the gospel in our area. Or Samaria, and our Samaria might be the United States. You know, Samaria, where they were half-breeds, half-Jews, half-Gentile, worshipped differently. And kind of in the U.S., um, like we all live in the same country, but those people up north, they're a little different than us, right? Talk a little different, act a little different. Um, people like me, who are from the great, the great nation of Texas, are a little different. We, we act a little different, talk a little different, see life a little different, or the West. 
This is why we plant churches. This is why we would send Josh and Amy Carter to Portland, Oregon. This is why we would send Derek and Kayla Scherfe, who we love, to Denver, Colorado. Why? Because of the sake of the gospel. Because there's people in our Samaria, in our nation, who don't know Jesus. And then to the ends of the earth, every Christian should care about unreached people groups. In fact, it's not just taking the gospel to every geographical region. Matthew 28, in the Great Commission passage, the third one, talks about go therefore and make disciples of all nations. And that word nations it means pantatos ethne, literally all people groups or all languages. And there are over a billion people who have never heard the name of Jesus in their native language today. Where they will live, they will die, and they will never hear the gospel. And we have money, and we have airlines, and we have the message. We can go. We can send. We can send missionaries. Maybe your family goes. Maybe instead of going to Disney World on spring break or summer vacation, you take your family to Guatemala or Nicaragua or to Africa. And you say, we're going to put our family around this. We're going to adopt missionaries. Our life group is going to support missionaries through our church because we want to be a part of sending the gospel out. This is what it means to leverage your life for the mission and purpose of the gospel. This is what it looks like for me desperately dependent. We need the Holy Spirit. That we are winsome witnesses everywhere we go. That we see all of life and all the earth as a mission field. And lastly, we leverage our lives for the mission of God when Jesus is our treasure. It won't happen until Christ becomes your treasure. It won't happen until you remember the gospel. Jesus didn't die for everyone, he did, but he died in your place. It's significant that the place where Jesus gives this final address to the disciples is the Mount of Olives. Because 40 days before, on the Mount of Olives, in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus took on the Father's wrath. In your place, in my place. He drank the cup. He was all of the Mount of Olives where they grow olive trees. In order to get the olive oil, it's the place of crushing. The olives would be crushed. Jesus was crushed for you and for me. We will not live our lives for this mission, for this purpose, until Jesus becomes our treasure. And we see the early church, these few Jesus followers, these normal people, not Pastor Mike's, not Billy Graham's, fishermen, tax collectors, housewives, brothers and sisters, they go, they devote themselves to one another, the church, they pray and they wait. And then throughout the rest of the book of Acts, the gospel explodes. Day by day, people come to faith. Multitudes come to faith. The gospel, we're going to see it spread from Jerusalem in this passage to Judea, to Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And we get to join in in this. You get to be a part of this. I get to be a part of this. This church exists for this day in history to be a part of this calling. Will you give your life to it? Would you lay down your family to it? Would you lay down your aspirations to it? He is worthy.
and he is the greatest treasure. This is what it says about this group of people, and I'll close with this. In Luke 24, verse 50, and he led them as far as Bethany, lifting up his hands, he blessed them. And while he blessed them, he parted and was carried into heaven. In verse 52, and they worshiped him, and they returned to Jerusalem, listen to these words, with great joy. And they were continually in the temple, blessing God. Great joy. Jesus was their treasure. And God used this small group of misfits to change the world. And we are recipients of the gospel because they embrace the purpose. Wouldn't it be amazing if our church, if you and I, our families, could sit in heaven and be the recipients of the gospel coming through us? He's worth it. Let's pray. Father, you are worthy. You're worthy of our lives. You're worthy of the highest praise. We long, long to be a part of this church that lives that way. Forgive us when we are not dependent, we are independent. Forgive us when we are witnesses of ourselves instead of witnesses of the gospel. Forgive us when we don't see all of life as a mission field, but instead we make all of life about us. Forgive us when we treasure things, lesser things other than Jesus. I pray that you'd change us. I pray even in this room that you would change hearts. And I pray, Lord, if there's anyone in this room who does not know you, who you're not the priceless treasure for them, I pray even this morning you'd open their eyes to the power of the Holy Spirit to see that you died for their sins in their place, rose again, and they can have new life by placing their faith and trust in you. And if that is you in this place this morning, before you leave, come find someone at the hub, come find me. We'd love to talk to you about what it looks like to respond to the gospel. Lord, we give ourselves to you on the altar of our praise. We ask that you be the highest name this morning. It's your name we pray. Amen.